this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom, if you can stuff any food inside of any other food, what would it be? I'm going to go with lamb stuffed with bacon, wrapped with truffle french fries, stuffed with lamb. How do you get a lamb inside a french fry? Or maybe crusted, french fry crusted lamb with bacon also there. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it's kind of like a burrito of lamb. I think I'm stuffing a Bojangles steak biscuit, like wrapped with a slice from Sal and Carmine's on Broadway and 101st. That's pizza. That's pizza. With a steak biscuit inside of it. Anything can be stuffed inside pizza. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we continue our march through season six, the vaunted season six, the season that Tom Colicchio himself regards as the pinnacle of Top Chef. There are five chefs left. A fascinating time capsule. Uh, We know these chefs. This is the younger version. Um, The one thing that isn't aged is have you noticed that Pabba looks no different than she does in 2019? In I know. It's depressing. Um, 
you know, when you when you when you watch this show and then you see the All Stars where Kevin Gillespie's just lost all of his hair on his head, and you're like, and there's Padma who looks exactly like she did in 2009, um, or you know. Even even in the next episode, they, they tease the next episode and Padma's got like bangs and you're like – like she just looks – she I think she had bangs this most recent season in LA too. So I don't know. I, I Maybe we need to do like a probe and figure out whether she has this like – just she doesn't age. I don't know what it is but it, it really is amazing to watch when I – don't, I don't know what Thomas Keller looks like now. But, um, you know, it was cool to watch this episode because to me, Kevin, this felt like a finale episode. The stakes were super high. Thomas Keller and like 12 incredible chefs are at the dining room table. There's a $30,000 cash win prize and they've whittled it down from five to four at the end of this episode. I know that they're still in Vegas for this but it really did feel like a finale to me. Well, I think typically on the show, and it's something that I think is has sort of shaped over over several years, the five to four frequently does feel sort of more more suspense than even a finale sometimes. I, I just think that the, the competition's more intense. You know what like the finales, beautiful as they are, it's like they hang out in a half the episode like in a market in Macau you know the ratio of cooking and stress of cooking to other stuff is just pretty low so I've always loved the five to four I always love the penultimate episode before a finale I think it's truly you know one of the just maybe the best episode in the season behind Restaurant Wars you know what it is Kevin it's the NCAA NCAA tournament it's the Elite Eight it's the Elite Eight. It's like you're going to the Final Four, but it always kind of feels – not that the Final Four is a letdown, but it almost feels like the Final Four is the goal, right? Is like the March Madness truly happens in those first three rounds. And then once it gets into the Final Four, it got kind of like – you know, it, the, the air gets taken out a little bit of that March Madness and it becomes more of a, uh, a traditional championship, right? But in, in Top Chef, it's the same thing. It's like – the the first twelve episodes of Top Chef is March Madness, and then once they get into the finale where they travel across the country, it kind of turns into a different show. And we know this season that the four best chefs in season six are going to the finale. And I I can't imagine if you watch this real time. I don't know if you have a really good finger on the pulse of who's going to win this damn thing. I, I, I totally agree. In my notes, very prominently with a highlight is I can't remember an episode where we went to judges' table and I had no clue what was going down. Um, it was everybody's was a little bit, a lot of a minus work, a lot of a minus work, and which which left it wide open. Nobody hit this out of the park. Yep. And, you know, totally I, I, I thought – and the conceit was hard. I mean let, let's start at the beginning. Um, do you want to explain to our listeners, uh, although if you've watched the episode, the Bakus door is is just like – what is that? The World Series of oh Poker my. of Cooking? Kevin, I had never – I never knew about this. Like I know I watched this season way, way back when, but when I rewatched it now, I'm like – 
this is kind of the prototype of modern um, t- cooking TV, right? Like Iron Chef, you know, like this idea of like super big, like mono mono, like one-on-one competition. Like this is where it was born from. Bocuse Dior is an international competition where it's basically gastronomy Olympics every four years or every two years or whatever it is. It's a, it, there's a, there's a stadium, there's an audience, there's teams, there's, uh, there's history. Like this is awesome. Like I didn't know about this, but I would love to go to something like this one day, you know? And I, I don't know if there's a direct line to like, were there producers for Bocuse Dior and, and, you know, Iron Chef or Top Chef or any of these uh, cooking competitions, but this is kind of the prototype, wasn't it? I mean, I, I do think, I mean, it was, it was Top Chef before there was Top, it was real life Top Chef. So I, I thought that was, you know, that, that was pretty interesting. Um, let, let's start, we're going to get to the, to the, to the final, uh, the finale, but the, the, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this quick fire. I, I often I kind of shared a criticism that um, Michael Voltaggio had, where you know they kind of present it with this very um, well, it's it's a it's a mini bakustor, and it's like no, what they're telling you to do is make a balanting. Now, Tom, if you remember, the only previous balanting I in recent years, you on restaurant, I'm uh, sorry, on Top Chef, you and I ate. Do you oh, remember the chicken right. Ballantine at Restaurant Northeast in Lexington or sorry no Lexington Kentucky remember Brian Brian comes out with the chicken Ballantine and by the way I think it was the best dish we had that night 100% So uh, just uh, a Ballantine is basically a turducken with whatever the hell you're doing it doesn't have to be a turkey and a duck um but but for those uh playing at home it is a turducken you you, you stuff something inside of something else and, yeah, and it was delicious. I remember that. And so that's what they're doing in the yeah, quick fire. I mean, essentially. So some creative uh I mean it, it to a degree. I mean, I, I don't think it was a it was a strict parameter, though Michael Voltaggio was a little irritated that they they dinged him for doing terrine because it wasn't stuffed inside something. So as he said, wait, why didn't they just say do a Valentine? So so Jen does a very traditional that like three of the five chefs go with a pretty Valentinish option, right? Like, like Jen does the traducan of seafood, which I love because I'm a big calamari steak guy. And, you know, you got the salmon wrapped in the scallops, wrapped in the calamari steak, a little shiso. Big fan of what Jen does always. This was fantastic. Kevin also does a little bit of seafood. He does a fried catfish, which who doesn't love fried catfish, Tom? Um, yeah. Southern catfish. And we've, we've heard it from Kevin before where he's like, no, I, I I disagree with the chefs quite a bit. They didn't show how much I basically discredited their judgment on my dish. Like he sticks to his guns and we saw a lot of it here was when they said it was overcooked, it was a little dry. And he's like, no, nope, you're going to disagree with you on that one. Not true. I, I kind of feel that way sometimes about my drafts. You know, they go into the editors, they got issues and it's like, now nah, you morons. This is really good stuff. <laughs> and by the way, just, just, so, just so our audience knows, it also goes the other way. I turn in stuff that I think is shit. And they're like, we don't have much to do here. Like, all right. You know, so it goes both ways. But but, but you're uh, also Ke- the editor on a lot of work. So Not you anymore. also have that perspective. Whereas, you know, Kevin Gillespie, I don't know if he's a, a judge, 
but he seems to you judge his food like he is a judge. Look, obviously Padma and Tom are the show. You know what would be a really fun Top Chef season? The judges should be an all-star team. Like it's Michael Voltaggio, Jen Carroll, and and My Lynn, or or but that, that that's not fair because uh, Michael Voltaggio is uh, that was uh, sous chef, so that would be too similar in sensibility. But like Kevin Gillespie would be a good judge, you know. Uh, I mean, why not just uh, Melissa? I mean, that would be like why not have a season? And I don't know how you still incorporate Padma and Tom because it's their show, and I want to defer there. But how about a season? Where the top chef judges are top chef chef testants. Ooh, I'll do it one e- one further, Kevin. Call it top judge. Top judge. So top judge. the chefs become the judges, and Padma, Gail, and Tom, and whoever you want to add into the mix, they're evaluating who is the best judge of their food based on. <laughs> That's based a on little meta, remarks. man. I I I, I, think, <laughs> I think we're we're taking out the fourth and fifth wall there. Oh, right. but they're competing to be the next judge of Top Chef, and oh, it's 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 great. I love both ideas. So, um, well, like the Scotch egg that Eli does, they they like it. The Jen, I was a skeptic. Yeah. I thought this was a bad move. The idea of doing a calamari in case, uh, an encased in calamari seafood dish, little out there, but she nails the execution. I want to eat it now. Fried catfish, okay, delicious. Um. Brian Voltaggio also does a, a sort of a traditional, not traditional, but he does the Merkez sausage wrapped in call fat, which I had to look up, Tom. Call yeah, please indul- kind of like, a, indulge me. What is call casing? Fat? It's basically casing. It feels similar, and, and a, a smarter person than I, than, than I am can, can correct us here. But it, it's kind of a casing, like from a you find in a sausage. And then he's got lamb in the middle of those. By the way, can I just. I want to tip my hat to Brian Voltaggio. How the hell does he make all those sauces in 90 minutes? Like <laughs> I'm just – he's got three sauces going along with this three-protein dish. Like how the hell does he make all those sauces in 90 minutes? Like much, much respect. Now, going back to Jim though, I see one of the great things about calamari is it's a great wrapper. Like you know what's great is you ever have like on a restaurant have the like calamari stuff with chorizo? What a great mm, yeah. combo that is, you know? So, so you know, but I'm with you. Like, I was expecting kind of a meteor protein inside, um, in, inside the, uh, the the calamari steaks. Well, so. Kevin, I don't know about you, but I did a little fist pump when I was watching when Padma turns to Jen and says, welcome back. Welcome back. Wasn't it? I like when cool they sort of acknowledge the momentum where it's not just like the, they're, they're recognizing that the, the, the contour of a, of a contestant's route here. Like I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought that was very cool. It was awesome. That was such a cool moment. And it, it, it did strike me, you know, Jen has been on the bottom three, like three straight episodes. So she is in her head big time in a rut. And to get that from Padma to be like, Hey, welcome back, kid. That was awesome. So good for her. Um, and that was, you know, this guy, Gavin Kaysen, I feel like he's ba- – he like coming from a Bocus Dior competition, it's almost like when NBA teams bring in like the military. Like it's like, whoa, this guy's on another level. Like we talk about competition and we talk about like, you know, laying it out on the line. This guy coming in here from Bocus, Bocus Dior, like he is like – like we think this is hard. Like watching him come in and basically like explain what they did at this competition, 
it just felt almost majestic, like what he had accomplished. And so he's coming in here and I thought, you know, I thought Brian Voltaggio would nail this. The whole idea of Bocuse Dior is almost like classical French cuisine, but elevated, right? Is like the presentation is just on another level. And I thought Michael Voltaggio was outplayed um, by his brother and consistently. And I think when Jen wins this, it was another instance of just when you think that Michael Voltaggio and Brian Voltaggio and Kevin are just a leg up on everybody, here comes Jen. Um, and that was really cool to see. I was I was very happy to see that Jen won that one. Not the first time that I've su- been surprised by who wins uh, a competition in this episode. I'll, I'll foreshadow the next uh, segment here by saying I did not see Jen winning that one. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to defend Michael Voltaggio here. Like, I have no problem with Tureen as an interpretation. Like, I mean, I, I just, I mean, maybe because it's not stuffed inside, it's stuffed inside. But as he said, if you want a balancing, just say you want a balancing. But that's what you asked for. So um, mm-hmm. I, I do feel a little bit for him. And I bet that freaking Tureen was great, you know. So um, I really applaud Eli. I, 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 I find Dutch eggs, I'm sorry, Dutch eggs, Scotch eggs to be weird. And I love the bacon crust is a cool thing, you know, like, you know, remember, I, you know what I used to love? Like I eat it out of the little bottle is like, you know, bacon bits. Like oh, bacon yeah. Bits. And remember even if like, it's not like, real. Oh, better if it's not real. Like, like synthetic bacon bits are great. <laughs> and you love to, you know, you love to see the bacon bits on the shitty salad bar. You love to see it at like Pete's, you know, like, I mean, do you have that? I mean, you yeah. grew up in a Tony had, neighborhood uh, than I did, but like. Like, you know, you got to love the pizza parlor where they just like send you off to the salad bar. I've talked about this on the show again. And it's just the same. It, it's lowbrow salad bar. But I, I, I love the lowbrow salad bar where you can just pour, just absolutely pour bacon bits on your Thousand Island dressing with like like two ounces of lettuce and just basically use it as a vehicle for just a bunch of just shit. Um, I'm imagining so- this in my head, Kevin, is that this is just basically you're eating a bowl of Fruity Pebbles. Yes. But instead of milk, you're doing Thousand Island, and instead of Fruity Pebbles, you're doing Bacon Bits. All right. I got to call out a good Fruity Pebbles situation I've had in the last month. Brodard is a brilliant Vietnamese restaurant in Fountain Valley now. It used to be, I think, in Westminster. This is in Orange County, California. And um, it is massive. Like, And if you go on a Saturday and Sunday morning, just tons of families. It like, reminds me of like the, the Jewish delis on Sunday morning where it's like everybody's family and kids. It's such a great thing. Um and one of the things they do, it's a great bake shop and they have macaroons. The best, you know, a lot of people are doing macaroons, Tom, these days. And a lot of people are doing a lot of C plus macaroons, not Bredard. And they had a Fruity Pebbles macaroon as their special macaroon about three or four weeks ago. And oh. which adds not only a, a third texture to the, really a fourth texture to the macaroon. Because you got the crust, the stuff inside the crust, the cream and I, it, I, I am, I'm calling Bredard tomorrow because I got to go down there. And I am asking if they have the Fruity Pebble um, macaroon, which was just brilliant. So if you are in the Orange County that sounds area, amazing. Brodard is just a great place, great Vietnamese food. Um, but when anyway, I was yeah. an offic- no, 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 no. I'm going to get in my little right, Fruity right, Pebbles right, right, homage right. too. When I was chubby Tom, offensive lineman in middle school Tom. Were you really chubby in eat- high school? I mean, not high school. I'm saying You're a man school. with a round face, but I don't think you've ever, ever thought of you as chubby. Ever. When I was in middle school, I was um, I was being groomed to be an offensive lineman in high school for the all state like the state champion football team in Connecticut. Ain't no and way Westport's got a 
all state football team. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's far true. too it's upscale true. a suburb to have the good football team. That shit's state coming chance. out of Waterbury or something. <laughs> um, Staples High School was FCAC and state champs while I was there. So um, I was being groomed. They were like, ooh, you got good footwork. You got good hands. But tell you what, you're going to have to put on 60 pounds because you, you need to beef up. And I was like, okay. So I started like getting really chubby. Um, I think like seventh grade, eighth grade. And what I would do is just eat like an entire box of Fruity Pebbles for breakfast with pancakes. And I just, I loved Fruity Pebbles. And I, I, I got, I would have this, this big light blue bowl. I can look at it right now in my head and just get, I'm, I'm salivating thinking about it. Fruity Pebbles is delicious. Oh, um, so good. I don't know. Can you riddle me this? Is each Fruity Pebble color a different flavor or is it all the same flavor, but just different colors? I think there is some. Hey, listener. It's your favorite Butcher Turn podcast producer, May, is here to talk to you about Butcher Box. A not-so-wise man once said, it's not that hard, just chop, chop. Who knew that he was talking about pork chops from ButcherBox? It's not that hard. It's easy to get high-quality meat and seafood you can trust, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You get exactly what you need, premium ingredients for your meals to feed your family. I know how it is. You go to the grocery store. You're stressed. You got a lot of food to get. And then you got to wait in line at the butcher counter. Maybe your butcher is a tall man with an attitude. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but maybe it happened to you. That's why I love ButcherBox. You've always got meat in the freezer or in the fridge. You're ready to cook at any time, and you're not going to find such high quality at such low prices anywhere else. So sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and use code dings at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus $20 off. Again, that is butcherbox.com slash dings, and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S. Chop, chop! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Some different. I, I think okay. some of them are a little sour and some of them are a little sweet. And I think. I, I, we would need to call, what is it, Post? Who does that? I don't that? know, but um, next time we hang out, Kevin, we are gonna we're gonna crush some fruity pebbles. But elimination challenge. Yeah. Anyway, uh, lim- oh, we want to go. So, so Jen wins that. Um, Valentine, Michael goes against the grain, doesn't win. Although I, I suspect that dream was really good. Um, I, I didn't quite. So one thing I didn't know going in is when you do the one protein two garnish, that I didn't realize you have to do that whole setup. Like that's not yeah. something I. Like that that sushi tray with all the stuff. <laughs> That's what like, I was just gonna say. Like, you know what I was like, like I had no. I thought it was like, oh, it's a meat and three, except it's a meat and two. Like I didn't know protein two garnishes. And when he said garnish, I didn't know it was like, like garnish to me is you know a little freaking parsley. Like I didn't know that garnish is essentially. I mean, th- th- what they wanted you to do was canapes. At least that was my interpretation. I, look, I'm a I'm a vulgarian, 
And I know nothing about the Bacuse d'Or and sort of classical French cooking in that respect. But um, anyway, I, it I was like a sushi shocked. Boat. I didn't understand it. Right, right. It looked like a sushi thing on all these little canapes. You know, um, I was super impressed by all of them in this episode. Like to do that in such short time, and I'm so glad Gail said it at the end, is like to find out about Bocuse Dior in 12 hours and then produce those dishes. Like those looked so impressive presentation-wise. And I know that they didn't execute as well as they they had hoped because of the time constraint. But shit, like the Bocuse Dior is like a, a, an Olympiad. Like you, what do you expect them to do? You know, they didn't have huge staffs to work on this. This was just a, a single person trying to trot out um, an elevated salmon or lamb dish protein with two garnishes that the idea is a, a zucchini basket with something else in it. Like that is a high bar and just about cleared it. Um, that, that was – and then you got Thomas Keller walking in. Come on, Kevin. This was a hard episode. I, I think it was a very high degree of dip. And as we said, no one really hit it out of the park. And you know what's funny? For all of the presentation and all of the degree of difficulty, it's kind of the old Top Chef thing. If you don't nail the protein, you don't like cut it right and you don't cook it right, you're kind of out. Like you're not you're not in real contention. And so at the end of the day, it was funny. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you know, it's really Brian Voltaggio. I think he had – I loved that. I mean – that that crapignet and that crap it was a crapignet and then the orzo pasta balls like I, I thought it was great and if he nailed the lamb i think he wins but he didn't nail the lamb he didn't um, nail the lamb undercooked yeah. and it was you know what i'm cool with that but when they're starting to talk about that the uh, the lamb fat wasn't it, it was it was just grotesque i'm like man i do like a, a rare lamb so i'm not so sure i would be as critical as they were but yeah, both of the lamb dishes here in this episode looked looked very very raw. Um, it, it it was. I mean, again, there were some interesting choices. I thought. I mean, you know, I, and I wonder about Michael Voltaggio if he doesn't call it Mediterranean. Is he? I mean, look, Grant, mm-hmm. they didn't love his cauliflower, that little tzatziki inside the cucumber thing, which was kind of, frankly, a little elementary for him, right? I mean, I, I thought that was a little, um, just not. Michael Voltaggio esque, but but Mediterranean inspired. I feel like it was one of those things where the minute you call it something, they start nitpicking at the at the pre, at the name. Yeah, and it really that that seemed like it was forty percent of the criticism was this isn't Mediterranean. He should have just called it something. You know what? You don't have to call it anything. Yeah, but you have to do come up with a story like what's the harmony in the dish or what's the what's the throughway with the dish? Like I think that was a question that he got was what inspired you to make it this way? He had to come up with a story. Did he have to say Mediterranean? No. But you also if you are going to call it Mediterranean, don't be like yeah, I was cooking it and then halfway through I realized it was Mediterranean flavors so I decided to make it Mediterranean. So you're almost admitting that you didn't really have a vision going in and you just kind of made it up on the fly. So like it always happens on the show, you kind of have to have your story, your narrative, your your arc pre-made, pre-packaged so that when you get asked about it, you're not going to be stumbling over it. So Michael Voltaggio – wasn't his best performance. I think maybe his worst performance of the season. Maybe a, a few episodes episodes ago when he really thought he was going home, maybe. But this was not a good launch pad into the finale. Did I think he was going home? No. 
but it th- this was an off day. Yeah. Um, I mean, he still had the best presentation, I think, by a good by a good bit. Yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about Brian for a sec. Okay. Brian does this crusted loin of lamb. Yeah, partially encrusted. He sous the lamb. Okay. Sous-vide the lamb. Glad you mentioned that. When they're deciding what to do, and Brian Voltaggio gets asked by Kevin in the little lounge area at the house, hey, how do you do sous-vide? Kevin, I want to ask you, how do you play that? There's five contestants left. One of your top competitors is choosing to do a dish that he's never done before, prepared that he's never done prepared before, but he knows you, Kevin. He knows this is your forte. And he asks you, Kevin, hey, um, you know, I don't know how to do this, but uh, what temperature do I need it at? How do you play that? I, I You know what? I, I it, 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 it took me aback too. You're down to five. I mean, and let's face it. You, you two are maybe, you know, you're, 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 you're both championship contenders and you get a very elementary question. And, and, and there's a part of Brian Beltaggio who has to be thinking, I don't know, asshole. Why are you asking me on the five level? Like, you don't have, know how to do this basic cook method, this vacuum sealed. Like, sorry, I can't help you. You know, I'm not, right. I mean, why I'm not, I'm not here to teach remedial cooking. And I, I think that would have been, you know, one of the interesting themes, and and also it, now that we're doing in the Wayback Machine, watching this this season ten years after the fact, is one of the criticisms. Michael Moltaggio's leveled it in kind of a bitchy way. Um, he's what he cooks what I cook on my off night. Uh, while Kevin was at the judges' table, the big knock on his dish um, was that it was elementary, right? Like he's not, you know, he doesn't, he's not playing with the form. He's not playing with the food the way Michael and, and to a great extent Brian is. And I mean, frankly, if you go to gun show today, I mean, Gillespie is a far more technically advanced chef. I mean, it, it is like, it's fun to watch Gillespie, the 2009 Gillespie, knowing that I've eaten his food in like 2018 and, and we know what he's capable of now, or, or for that matter, you know, all stars and everything else. So, so that's sort of been one of the fun themes is he's gone from this guy is hey everybody loves your food but you're not exactly reinventing the form here and now he does so much of that at his restaurants while still preserving who he is but i'm with you like it's a little bit by the way a little ballsy of kevin to a lot of chutzpah for him to even ask another chef yeah you know so i i i made the same observation like i thought that was really interesting and 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 brian plays ball He, in the confessional says, you know, should I have said anything? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of weird to be asking me for technique advice when it's down to five at this late in the competition. But would have been really funny is if he just straight up sabotaged him and said, oh, um, yeah, so the the, the temperature you want on that chicken, uh, I think it's like 100 and 105 maybe and just totally blown up his spot and just as a way of like, you know what? This is a damn competition. You shouldn't be at – if you're going to get mad at me for giving you the wrong advice, don't ask the advice. We're in a freaking right, competition no, like, here. Actually, what you do is you cut off the head of a chicken first and then you swing <laughs> it around your head. And, and like you could just kind of – you're right. You could just prescribe some nonsense to like this is what you have to do to sous vide. And, uh, and instead, Kevin gets the advice. He executes his dish and I think – what I learned from this 
is Kevin when he when he says I'm more simple or other people call it elementary, what he's really doing, Kevin, is he knows he's got to execute. As long right. as I execute this dish, I'm going to be good. And what other chefs are going to say is like the Robin route or uh, the k- Katsuji route is like, I'm going to pull this and then do this and then this. And then, they, oh, my God, I'm running out of time. How is that possible? And like the ash, the ash rule of like, oh, I, I just I, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. Kevin might not have the most imaginative and creative and technically advanced dish. But what he does have is a dish. It is executed and it's fully formed. And at the end of the day. I don't care how simple it is. What you're betting on is that everybody else is not going to be able to execute what they want. And in this episode, the simplicity was the idea. That was the thing that got him the win was I might be simple and elementary, but I actually I actually completed and executed the dish. And I think that's a skill. I think I think that is actually in this competition a skill. It might be, seem like a weakness. It's like LeBron passing in the last moment of the game instead of taking the shot. Some people might construe what Kevin what Kevin does on this show as a weakness, that it's simple, that it's elementary, and that I do it my day off. But I think it's actually a smart play. I'm going to do something where it's actually executable, whereas you're just going to be flying off the cuff and screaming, oh my God, I can't believe there's only one minute left. Um, I'm gonna, I, I agree and disagree. So on one hand, I, I look, he executes. I don't think he has anything to apologize for. His food is his food, at least circa 2009. I don't think he won this week as much as they lost it. And I think the, it was a, you're, you're a probability guy. What are the odds of Michael, Brian, and Jen all kind of bricking their fight? I mean, he basically, I mean, what? One in four times one in four times one in three, maybe? You know, like, like, what is that, Tom? That's one in six, eight, one in 48, right? I mean, and I think, I'm not going to say he got uh, lucky. He executed. No, you're doing the wrong math here, Kevin. Wait, what am I? I think the math he's doing in his head is this is a really hard challenge. Everyone is going to try to reinvent the wheel here. Michael Voltaggio, Brian Voltaggio, Jen, they're going to get inside their head. They're going to try to just make themselves into a pretzel here to impress these chefs. And they're going to extend themselves way too thin. And I am going to go the opposite direction. I am actually going to do something that I can execute. So even though these are all amazing chefs, I think Kevin might have been like zigging while everyone's zagging actually raises his like by by choosing I'm going to raise my floor. They're going. They're they're thinking. I'm going to raise my ceiling. He's thinking. I want to raise my floor, and I think that actually is good probability. I think those are good odds in this in this circumstance. I mean, I guess. I mean, it seems like he's playing. I mean, not intentionally, but it, that, it seems like a second place strategy because I think the odds are one of those three people beats you by virtue of their difficulty. But hey, I mean, look, scoreboard, right? He wins. Yeah. Is yeah. is. Is sherry glaze, the parsley sauce, the pickled Swiss chard stems I thought were a really nice touch. And even though the baked asparagus with sunchoke cream was frankly a little elementary for this particular thing. And I'm not trying to knock Kevin. I mean, I love his food. Hey, um, they said it. They but said but it. I think now, you know, Brian, again, it you just undercooked the lamb. And the same thing goes, um, you know, with Eli, who did it in a much, he screwed up the protein in a more 
spectacular way, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's overcut. Tom Colicchio, you got to cut that meat the right way. He is not. <laughs> he is almost Japanese in his precision of cutting the protein. He does not fuck around. He is not going to let you like. You know, what did you cut Literally that with a blindfold? Butchered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's not has no time for that. One of the judges, I forget which, just sort of referred to the dish as sad, which has got to be just a just a brutal wow. insult. Sad. Yeah, he was essentially saying this lamb sacrifices life for nothing. Right. Um, uh, it was wrapped around the loin. Um, in many ways, it, he basically did very something very similar to um, Brian Voltaggio. Uh, except with the salt, lamb sausage wrapped around the loin, encrusted with pistachio. Um, Razzle Hanu, I, lo- I have some Razzle Hanu um, uh, spice blend that I, I love um, with the carrot puree, tomato and piquillo pepper marinated on top of beer. I mean, I think it was a really well-conceived dish. I have to say, like, to me, it might have been my favorite conceived dish. Eli's dish. Yeah. I really well, the problem love is he had the worst the meat. Idea. He, yeah. he had the worst meat. Right. And like you said, that's a killer. I mean, you got to nail the protein. He didn't nail the protein. He, he actually ruined it in two different ways. He undercooked it and then he, he had a, a uneven cut. Um, what did you think about Thomas Keller being impressed by the garlic chip? I thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah, I was frankly surprised. I mean, you're right. It seems like, I mean, it's something that, you know, it's funny. That is such a talk about a 2009 kind of thing you'd see on the plate that you just don't see now. A garlic <laughs> chip, right? Like like it was yeah. the the moment of the garlic chip. Uh, it was interesting that that was sort of something he was drawn to. Um, you know, Jen had one of those dishes, Tom, where the show's limitations, which are you and I cannot taste it at home, kind of was at work, right? Because I saw that poached salmon with caviar and enoki mushrooms. That's some three of my favorite foods. A shrimp flan with a snap pea salad, lovely, like light truffles, celery root shiitake, like mushrooms and, and oh, sort of yeah. little bright flavors and, and a little salt and rich, you know, salmon's a nice fatty fish. Like it's the kind of dish that I would have ordered that I would have been psyched to be put on the table. And it's hard to kind of know, Oh, it didn't have the play. It didn't, it was not exciting. It's sort of like explain because it is <laughs> one of those things where look, it's the, my greatest it's not a knock on the show there's nothing they can do but it's like to the extent that project runway has this thing where you can see it we can never taste the food we can we can argue with the refs all day but at the end of the day tom other than unless you go to restaurant wars in lexington kentucky um bless them for letting us do that you just don't know you don't know um i thought i thought jen's dish was I would order it on a menu. I would. It, it seems like the kind of dish that I'd be thinking about for a long time after I ate it. Like that is the that is the stuff that you'll be thinking about. Um, another thing I want to t- touch here is I think Brian Voltaggio is too nice. It's too nice. Are you going back to the? Uh, you going back not to just the, to the uh, Kevin thing where yeah. he's Kevin's asking for advice, but also in the kitchen, Michael Voltaggio, his brother, his greatest competition, is asking him for him for help in the competition with with his dish. And Mike and Brian's like, yeah, I got you, I got you. I think I think Brian needs to be a little bit meaner. I think in this episode he ran out of time, and I'm seeing him helping Kevin, helping Michael Voltaggio, and uh, I just he needs a little bit more of a mean streak. I think that might might help him here. Um, and I get it. It's hard to put away like your 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 consideration for other human beings and sympathy and all that. Like I get it. 
it's hard to do in competition. But I just kind of feel like he needs a little bit more of a mean streak here. And Jen, even though she gets the 30 minutes of extra time, she doesn't really need it. So she's helping other people out as well. And it kind of goes back to this whole theory, this debate of when you're on Top Chef, are you there to make friends or are you there to win? And I think in some ways – the goodwill that you earn by helping others, actually, you get a credit that you will get paid off later on. And I think there is a strategy in being nice because you might need them to step up for you and they're more willing to do it when you've stepped up for them. So I don't know where I feel about it. I just think that Brian um, needs to be a little bit meaner. I mean, I suppose. Um, I, and I just – but there is a code with these these five contestants. I mean I think – you know, you're right though. Michael Voltaggio wouldn't be nearly as helpful. Um, he's the mean brother. Uh, by the way, sure. as we said before, you know, as we, as we get to the end here, neither of us had any idea who they were going to name the winner. I can't recall a week of Top Chef in recent memory, multiple seasons, where I, I had no idea who they were going to name. I know this. I didn't think Kevin was going to win it. At least I didn't think he was likely. And when they said Kevin, I was like, wait, we just listened to them just trash him for being too simple the whole time. Um, And then I guess you're right, is that he didn't necessarily win as much as the others lost. And it was a matter of, okay, this this game was 78 to 76 and and one team happened to win, right? Um, And I think it just goes to show that this, this challenge was so hard. And, and the audience was so decorated, like hearing them talk in their histories. I was like, wow, this is this is incredibly difficult to pull off. And Kevin wins um, at this point. You know, Kevin has three, uh, four wins. Jennifer has one win. Brian has three wins. Michael has three wins. So I guess Kevin's going into the finals. With four wins, making him the favorite. Sorry, he's got five wins, making him the favorite, right? Like going into this um, next phase, I guess you put Kevin as the most likely winner here. Well, it's a question, and you mentioned it earlier, ceiling and floor, right? Like I think Brian Michael Voltaggio's ceiling is higher than anybody's. Um, Now, I wouldn't say his floor is lower, but I think Kevin hits his peak more often. He just happens to have a lower peak. And I think what's interesting, it's always been the case about Top Chef, right? Like at the – generally speaking, the high-ceiling chef ultimately when you get down – when the flaws start being, hey, it was great, but there wasn't as much, you know, ingenuity to what you did. We can't criticize anything specific that was wrong on the plate that was wrong in the preparation for that matter was wrong in the presentation. Right. And I think as the errors, not even errors, as the criteria become more, you know, how ambitious were you? Did you just go shoot? Did you shoot the moon? Um, I think if I'm looking ahead, it's, you know, Kevin, obviously the most consistent winner, Michael's ceiling is a little higher. Yeah. Yeah. Jen's kind of the wild card where if she's, if she's hitting her shots, she's feeling in rhythm, she can win the whole damn thing. Um, so it, you know, to wrap up here, a, where are they now? Eli Kirstein is, uh, I'm hope to get him on the pod one of these days. Uh, we have touch base with him and hopefully we'll be getting him on the show. It was sad to see him go. Like literally he was crying and, 
it was it was interesting to see Eli's little like vignette in the beginning of the show about how Richard Blaze is his mentor and he was the best man at, at Richard's wedding. Is that right? Do we have that correctly? I think he said that. Now, now Richard's a bit older than Eli, I believe. So and this is – I wish we'd known that before. Like why didn't they tell us this at the beginning of this season? Would have given him a little bit more of uh, – I don't know, not credibility, but a little bit more texture to his story. I, I thought that was an interesting throw in at the end of his tenure is like, oh, by the way, Richard Blaze is like my mentor and we're, we're like super close. Um, so where are they now? August um, – recently he had closed down – a couple of years ago, he closed down his restaurant, The Luminary. He opened that up in the uh, – maybe you can explain it. The, is it the Krog Street? Oh, Crown Street Market. My sister lives right over there. It's a wonderful place. Um, and I've eaten at the Luminary. I ate there with uh, some of our basketball friends. Um, no way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Charlie Widows was, uh, I believe, there. And so I think um, I think we went there. Or maybe I'm confusing. Yeah. But the point is, is Crog Street Market is a wonderful um, – one of those food halls. But it, within the food hall, they have the stands. But in like around the perimeter, like and toward the back – there are some smaller um, restaurants with some seating, like, like you know, where a you know full service restaurant, you know, with a couple dozen seats. So um, some of How my favorite it? stuff was there. I, I mean, it's great. Um, they've lost some of my favorites. Uh, the Cockatrice was one of my all time favorites. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a great scene. It's one of you know Pont City Market, Crog Street Market, Atlanta. So fantastic for food. Um, I really hope it survives. You know, the current moment. Um, but, uh, I, I'd love to see Eli do something else. And I, um, I would love to, uh, I'd love to partake in his food. And I also, I just would love to see what kind of stuff he's doing. You know, this is 11, 12 years ago. He's this young chef. He's aspirational. Like, I mean, a chef's game 12 years down the road, a young chef particularly has got to be a completely different set of skills. Yeah. He's, um, he's the GM of, uh, wood smoke provisions. Uh, so that is a more recent thing in the past year. He, he started doing that. Um, but the luminary looked like it, it got, had great reviews. Um, just from the article I saw on Re- Eater, it just was got to be too expensive. Um, so uh, Chef Eli, great yeah, run by the way, on rents, Top Chef. I will say this: rents in Crog Street are outrageous, and I've heard other vendors talk about that. It is, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's just it was a hot spot. Um, Kevin Rathburn has, I think, or is he in Pomp City? One of those two. Both of those complexes have just prohibitive rents. Well, uh, hats off to Eli. Uh, really enjoyed his, his, his run on top chef this season. And I also got to say, Kevin, we got to go to a Bocus Dior. That sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe uh, they can kind of put like a, a summer Olympics or winter Olympics along with a Bocus Dior. And we can just kind of hit two birds with one stone. I mean, could we like call in some favors? I mean, what do you have to do? I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, Oh, it's all in French here. Um, oh, I'm like, no, when I, is I it? When that. is it? I'm like, is it? Do they do they rotate the? Oh, it's always in Lyon. Oh, that's nice. That could be really nice, Tom. You know, you got to do it. It sounds so much fun. When we're like old, late middle aged people, it's such a late middle aged thing to do, isn't it? Um, we should go to <laughs> Lyon for that. That would be fun. That would be really fun. Closing thoughts, Tom. Can't wait for the finale. Uh, we got Bangs, Padma. It's been a long time between the finale and this uh, this most recent episode with the, with Thomas Keller because 
Kevin Gillespie's got long hair. Jen Carroll's got really curly hair. And Padma has bangs. And of course, the Voltaggio brothers look exactly they the look same. Like exactly they do exactly the same. It's so just, I'm looking forward to the finale, Kevin. This will be fun. Um, well, we got one more and then the finale. Well, like like the they're going, they're leaving Vegas. Oh, you mean like, like the, the final four go up to Napa, the whole deal. All right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I'm excited for the, the final four, so to speak. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X dot com.